0: Good morning, church. Let us read the word of the day. Ecclesiastes 11 verses 1 to 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portion to seven, yes, to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lay. Whatever, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb. So you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seeds in the morning and at evening. Let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will equally do well. That's the word of the Lord. Let me pray for Khan. Again, Heavenly Father, we bless your name. We glorify your good name. Lord, today we just want to bless you for King Peter Karanja. Thank you, Lord, even for the word that you've stored in his heart that he's going to deliver to us. How, Lord, we pray that you give, us, you give him clarity of thought and mind, and whatever message that he's going to preach, may it come from you, because we've prayed all this, believing and trusting in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Praise the Lord. I'm happy to see all of you yet again. This has been a very interesting month for me. I've been here (laughs) for rather long. Uh, And thank you, Pastor Maura, for asking me to come and share these things. In the last one month, we have wrestled with the topic, Christian living. We've tried to locate it within the general cultural environment in which we are operating. And remember I disclaimed when we began uh, that most of the things we shall discuss are things where different perspectives would be fine. You can hold a totally different view from mine, but they're not so fundamental that that will keep you or me from going to heaven. We shall find our way there and be very happy there. And maybe you wonder why you are not seeing things the same way. However, because they involve choices, choices do have consequences. And sometimes very grave consequences. They are not keeping you from going to heaven, but they are making life very difficult for you here on earth. Now, the first Sunday we wrestled with the question of what is culture. And remember, I relied very strongly on a character called Richard Naibu in his definition and treatment of culture, which he uses interchangeably with civilization and says culture is both the process and outcome of human activities on nature and the environment in which we operate to meet our needs. Remember I said a river is natural, a canal is kacha. The river does what it likes, the canal we dig it to try and channel water to where we need it so that it can serve us. And it is progressive and cumulative, and it's pervasive. You find it in every community, in every race, in every continent. They handle things differently, but culture is what shows what they have done to tame their environment to be able to use it. And there are cultural roles, remember we discussed those, And I said the cultural roles that we carry as Christians are the same as the cultural roles that other people carry. Only because we are people of faith in Jesus Christ, we are required by scripture to operate in such a way that in carrying out those roles, we bring our faith to bear on them so that the expressions of our Christian living And components of our witnessing for Christ. So if you are a husband, uh, you are not just a husband who has a wife. Uh, (laughs) You are made in God's image. In your marriage, you are reflecting the relationship between Christ and his church There are things the Bible says about how women should be treated. And your wife is your sister, but she's an object of your love and care and support. And as you grow older, you are learning how to play the guitar very much for her to make her very happy. She is a wonderful project for you. The typical husband has... Very different views coming just from culture. And a lot of Christian women are suffering a lot in the hands of Christian men who operate as cultural men in normal life. And on Sunday they appear very nice Christians. Very nicely and smartly dressed and so on. But a Christian wife too is not just a cultural wife. She's a woman who obeys scripture, which has a lot to say about wives. So she loves her husband and submits to him. Sometimes when he's not even a very nice man. Sometimes when he's not very smart. Um, you know, women are generally smarter than, than men and they mature earlier and more quickly It's not about your husband, it's about what the Lord says. Even when you differ, you have this creativity to differ in a manner that leaves no doubt you submit to Him, even though your views are different. Oh, my dear, uh, I really appreciate your leadership. I am so happy to follow. In fact, what you have said, we are happy to do. But if you could give me a chance to also give you a view, I would suggest if you were to see this point of view <laughs> as well, it might add value to what you are thinking. I didn't even know that could you say that Maneno ya mama in a, in a kubali was Kesho. See Leo, <laughs> the Christian man might even tell you, I am happy with that today <laughs> and not tomorrow. A cultural man who is a father is just a father and there is cultural definition of what a father should be, but a Christian father and a Christian mother are actually raising a godly generation heaven is waiting and watching what you are doing in relation to God's broad scheme of things. And it is such a privilege. Uh, you bathe your children in prayer and you are determined that in their day and in their generation, they should have an impact for Christ. And so this interplay between culture and faith and Christianity is so dynamic, every day you'll find yourself needing to respond in your cultural roles, in a manner to agree with scripture, and you'll be often challenged. In the second sermon, we spoke about Christianity and culture and its conflict. Basically, wrestling with the question, what happens to us from those elements in culture which encroach on our lives in ways that appear spiritual? Spiritual, not just social. Because in traditional culture in this country, There is even occultism, even witchcraft. I said that some of the people here were dedicated in alternative shrines when they were born. (laughs) I do not even know. And some of the cultural practices open the door for Satan to lay claim on our lives because he has been given a foothold to harass, oppress, steal from you, destroy. Even kill you if he would. And we like to top up the cultural snares that we have by the kind of sins people choose that consolidate and open the door for Satan to oppress them because they have given him a foothold. But we say that whatever the reason for your oppression, you can invoke the faith in Christ and the blood. Of Jesus over your life, over your family, over your work and your enterprise, over your house and household, over your bloodlines, so that the Lord saves you and saves your family and liberates them and blesses them and makes them overcomers. Because Jesus became a curse in our place so that we who deserve curses can exchange our curses for the blessing of God. Not because we deserve it, but as we sang, because of the price Christ has paid. And I said, this is a serious matter. Rather many people treat this very casually. You can invoke the blessing of God, the breaking of yokes of Satan and his chains, the breaking of curses on your life, the ones you know and the ones you do not know. You can raise Christ as your basis and reason to break away from the oppression of the enemy by prayer and anointing of your family, in your life, in your jobs, in your enterprises, in your relationships. You can actually create a new trajectory of blessing for your bloodline. A digression. Yesterday, I I had all the children of my brother and I gathered, having a meal and having fun. We do that twice or so a year. My late mother directed that now she was a rich woman and her family must eat periodically in a year to eat and drink. And because I appear to be the more prosperous one in, in her family, I, I could tell who was being told. So every couple of months, I buy two goats because there are quite many now. And they just gather and eat. And I have purposed that the bloodline of my family will be redeemed for Christ. And I pray and declare that the children of my mother and their children and their children after them and those who come down the road, in this line, will be prisoners of grace. Amen. They will run and not get away from Christ. Amen. Because this promise is for us and for our children and for those that are far off. And I'm very careful not to allow any nonsense from culture to come and lay a claim on them. Because we have made a choice. And she died in Jesus. I lost a sister-in-law who loved Jesus. My brother is born again. Even today they are having a major function in their church. You know, you can be conscious in these things. You are under attack by the enemy. And he would like to terrorize you. If you don't take a stand for Christ and declare that you are blessed... You could suffer oppression. So, you can invoke this blessing for your family, for your job, for your enterprises, in all your relationships, and you can create a new trajectory for your family. By the way, this is very serious. For some of you who are faithful and open and resolved to honor Christ in your lives, your families for generations will never be the same again because you took a stand. And it is tragic not to take a stand. To come around the grace of God and know the full benefit that can come from just the blessing of God and not align your family and your future generations on that. You must make sense of what Joshua said. For me and my family... We shall serve the Lord. Then last Sunday we dwelt on the imperative of work. Because it is the process of culture and God's chosen method for us to find food and livelihoods until we return to dust from where we came. And we said that all adult, healthy, able-bodied people of all ages And both gender must work to earn their keep. Because the Bible is very clear that if you do not work, do not eat. So he said husbands should work. And it is tragic that there are many husbands today who are quite happy to live off their wives... When they are not working, seeing that as the blessedness of God. God is unlikely to bless you to be a sucker, to live off the sweat of another person when you are an adult. When he has said, you shall eat from the sweat of your brow until you turn to dust, for from dust you came. God does not give blessings that contradict the word he has given. Wives too. Must work. Some wives, you know, are, are very clever, especially when their husbands have a lot of money. They get away Cinderella and not quite, <laughs> and, and not quite working. Your husband cannot be so rich that you don't need to do anything to earn your keep. Adult children, you remember I said uh, I get vexed by women who call baba, mama, grown-up children who are 30, 35, and they live with their parents and eat their food and don't work. And if you go back to the lives of those families, some of those wives were married when they were 23 or 25. So what are you doing with a guy who is 30, who hasn't begun life? When you begin much younger than they are now, when will they begin their lives? Sometimes they need a shock therapy. Send them away. They will not die. (laughs) And parents who are older must also work. And I say, don't push them to do work that will kill them. But at their age, there is work they can do. It's until they return to dust, not until they retire or their children grow up and graduate from university. Even grandparents who are alive, not just parents, and are not sick, should work. But if someone is sick, by all means, they should enjoy the love and care. Even if the work they do cannot fully cover their keep, it's okay to support them and supplement. It's not wrong to give, but it is wrong for a person to wake up every day, To plan to eat and drink from the sweat of other people. When God has said from the sweat of your brow, you will eat. So there are many types of work that people can do in changing circumstances and seasons. We can even support our loved ones to find work and to set up enterprises and businesses. But we must commit to do the work that is available as we wait for our dream and ideal work. If you're not willing to do the work that is available, then we must stop to eat. Until the work we like can be found. <laughs> and we do it. And earn. Then we eat because we have earned our keep. Enterprise and farming is work sometimes by default or preference. Can be early in life or after loss of employment or retirement, we must work.
0: We must work.
1: So today we wrap up this series uh, by discussing wealth creation and growth. Now you know that I might not qualify for that because in here you have people who this is what they do for a living. They teach people how to become wealthy. But the Bible is very peculiar because the word of God says about ministers, we remain poor, but we make many rich. So when Pastor Moora starts here and he gives you tips on how to make wealth, don't ask what does he have to show in his <laughs> life about making wealth to give him the credibility to tell us how to get rich only we have the privilege when we are not rich to teach people how to be rich and to bless them and pray for them so so that they get rich and we don't have to get rich Uh, when we make them rich. Although nothing stops us from becoming rich. And I know pastors that are quite wealthy in this country. So, Maura, don't again justify not becoming rich (laughs) at the because we make many rich while we remain poor. There is no, there is no divine imperative for us to be poor. We, we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How do you create wealth? Prepare for the time when you might be unable to work and be able to pass some heritage of resources to the next generation. That's a question you must crack. Now for most people the easiest route to creating wealth outside inheritance because again if you've been born in the right place you can show up with a lot of resources that you don't have to work for and It's called old money. It's called old money. See someone driving uh, beasts and they're only 27 and you say, this guy has done well. You thought, no, 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 no. That is old money. If you can access old money, fair. Sometimes you are paid dowry. If you raise girls and a few of you have girls, And you are praying for them well and trusting God for them. God might just perform miracles around when they marry. And you get shocked. Because sons-in-law, when they see how you have raised for them such wonderful girls who became their wives, who are making them rich and giving them, uh, respect, they, they just, they just pass things to you and you are not needing to work. I don't know I told you the other day that even I, my parents-in-law are gone, but my wife is such a wonderful woman and she really has made me reasonably endowed. And she has covered up for many of my stupid mistakes. <laughs> in. So the other day, her only brother who lives in Kitale, I bought three living, walking cows and took them to him and said, your sister has made me rich. My parents-in-law are not there to receive. I have come to say thank you. (laughs) Friends, don't just enjoy the blessings of your wife as though she landed on a parachute. (laughs) Someone worked to make her what she is. Someone sacrificed to make her what she is. Someone nurtured her and trained her and taught her and prepared her so that when you looked at all the girls around, even though they were available and some had made you a subject of prayer, (laughs) she is the one you took. So it is not wrong to become rich because you have received a disproportionate amount of dowry. Compared to what other people get. You will eat the fruit of your labor. The fruit of raising girls. Men are entitled and women. And the Lord can give you a divine visitation as well. Because he's God. He can, he can put you on a path to wealth that is not inherited, that is not dowry, that has just come because he is God. But for the majority of the people, their root wealth is the job that they find, at which they work for years, and the only resources they have to deploy in their journey of wealth creation is the salaries they keep getting. So I urge you to respect work. respect those who have created the frameworks where you work. If you're a public servant, it is the citizens who pay taxes so that government can do the things that it does to create employment, to give service to its citizens. If it is private institutions where you work, the private sector, it has taken investors and promoters to deploy resources to create the frameworks where you work. Even if you work in NGOs and parachurch and humanitarian organizations, there are publicly-minded people who created those frameworks, and if you check, at great costs. So pray for your employers. Pray for the frameworks where you work. Pray for the institutions that you work in. Seek to add value to them, to expand their capacity and prosperity, because their prosperity has been tied up with your own prosperity, and if they should suffer gross loss and pain, chances of you being chucked out, being vomited by the employer are very high. Uh, the seniors remember me saying that uh, the tail of a lizard gets cut, And it goes into prayer. God now bless the lizard. I have been cut. It has no tail. I have been serving it and helping it all this time. When I'm not there, what will happen to the lizard? And as you are mourning, the tail just dies off and stops to wriggle. The lizard grows another one. So the average person will become wealthy or poor on the basis of work. So we ask, what do you need to do with the work you have in order for it to be a tool towards your creation of wealth? And I'll draw several lessons from scripture and then uh, we shall be done with the series. Number one, be trustworthy. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 to 12 Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And your first test in this journey is your personal integrity and your trustworthiness and your robustness and faithfulness. In the stewardship you receive from the Lord and from your employer to care for the assets, the resources, the properties, the tools of work, belonging to others, entrusted to you. And the Lord says, if you are faithful, that gives an increase of stewardship for you. And if you are faithful, the Lord gives you what is yours. Now, many employers prefer loyal, trustworthy workers to geniuses and experts who are not trustworthy. If you are a genius and expert, but also trustworthy, the sky is the limit for you in the world of work. That is what increases your responsibilities, creates greater trust in you by your employer, Channels your way greater resources For you to take care of It comes with promotions And pay rises And some of the people you see Who are mediocre and stuck At the bottom until they retire Is because they failed The test of trustworthiness In another passage in scripture Jesus says Even the literal they have will be taken away from them and given to the ones who have much. And you know, the the matter with this God of ours is really amazing. You know, he never stops to amaze me. He says you do something, you just do it. You do it, you don't need to see the end. You ought to be able to go before the Lord and tell him, God, I have done my part of the bargain. I'm waiting for you to do yours. And I want to see a trust to the person who is faithful with little that God has not entrusted with more. You know, in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him, suggesting that God sits in heaven And takes a walk and casts his eye around the earth. Asking, who is trustworthy? And the angels are giving reports and showing your KPI on uh, trustworthiness. And then he says, those who are trustworthy and faithful, do things for them that will make them specimens. Of what God does to the people who are trustworthy. Wouldn't you desire for God's eyes to rest on you? That he has found you faithful? God seems to align the stars in favor of those who are trustworthy. As God's specimen and example to the world of his grace and power and blessing and favor. The second key is hard work. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23, all hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Proverbs 10, 4, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Paul says in Colossians 3, 23, and I have used it before in this series, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a a reward. So, what is diligence? It's basically attaching value and taking delight in your work. Taking care to do everything right. Giving the task on hand everything you can. The Bible says this brings high reward and wealth. The converse is also true. Proverbs eighteen nineteen. One who is slack in his hand is brother to the destroyer. Brother. You know brother? The one you come from the same womb with? The one with who you share a DNA? says if you are slack, you carry the DNA <laughs> of the destroyer. You are socialized to destroy. I told you before that the Bible says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the Lord has come to give us life and give us in abundance. So the brother to the destroyer is also operating in Satan's territory helping him to accomplish his malevolent schemes. In almost all the companies that have collapsed in Kenya, Uchumi, Tuskes, and others, if you track, there was gross dishonesty and mischief by some of the people entrusted with the stewardship of those organizations. And they sunk with Suppliers' money, which was not paid, and jobs were lost. They say that in this country, a few years ago, two billion shillings was being stolen every day. (laughs) If you try to imagine two billion shillings stolen every day, if you actually configure the money per year, it is us. Now my statistics may not be correct so if you find them wrong don't blame me but rather huge amounts of money are wasted. Services are not being given in this country because the people paid to render service are busy seeking to collect bribes. Yani their salaries are not enough. They need bribes. By giving the services the organizations are established to give to people who pay, and they are denied the services they are entitled to. A motivational speaker called uh, Art Williams says, just by working hard, you beat 50% of the competition. Just knock them off by (laughs) working hard. You are trustworthy, you beat another huge number. In fact, if you are trustworthy and hardworking, you will be close to the top. The third key is competence. Proverbs 12, 22, verse 29. Proverbs 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. Now or later... Look up Proverbs 22 verse 29 in your mother tongue. Google these days has all these Bibles. The Doruo Bible, the Kikamba Bible, the others. So if you check in your mother tongue Proverbs 22 verse 29 you will see what it says. In my mother tongue, because it's the only tongue I speak, I don't speak these others. It says (laughs) Murutiwarawekeo mrutuera wekeori no atweke wagutwara na namuthamaki Ti agutwara na na tumunduro oguo totare kiene i mean my only temptation to bring this is that all the english translations i have looked at they don't appear to capture the, the gravity of Where competence and skill lift a person from. If you are competent in your work, you are elevated to serve amongst kings, not mediocre, ordinary people. So exceptional skill and competence elevates you from mediocrity to obscurity. It lifts you from ordinary circles to royalty. It opens doors for you that nothing else would open. It exponentially increases your earnings and your salaries and your wages and your revenues in business to levels that your peers and those who share your primary qualifications can only imagine can be earned. In fact, it enables you to stop looking for jobs and for employers to begin looking for you. I don't want to ask that uh, you put up your hand or stand, but I, I have known people, even in your church, who are called to lunch by people and told, we know you are comfortable where you are. But a position has a reason where I work. And the boss has said we look for a person who matches the need of our organization. And it has been suggested that you are such a person. Would you consider a move to come in the first place? And if you would, what would be the remuneration that would be an incentive for you to move when you are comfortable where you are and not looking for an opportunity because we have an opportunity and we are looking for an excellent person. Show me a man skilled in his work. He will serve amongst kings, not amongst ordinary people. In the meantime, in the organization where you are being sought to join them and to name your price, there are people being sent away who are considered not to match the aspirations and the need of the organization where it is going. Those transitions are useful because they help you to negotiate your remuneration, actually. Many of your employers take you for granted, but when you have to go to a new place, you'll be good. Uh, You'll be paid better. You get a better remuneration. In fact, if your employer thinks that you can be taken away by other employers, they begin to figure out ways to retain you. And, and you know it is in management science. Uh, retention. What do you do to retain your good talent? So you find a pair is coming when you haven't asked. Because your employer is thinking that someone else might offer you a package. Before they come, he's there. So many of you need to make yourself a project of excellence, to sharpen your skills and your abilities, to increase your knowledge and your efficiency, to get to the top of your professional trades, work with the ideal to get to the top of the range. And we've seen a few people in scripture. Old Joseph. Too good for his family, his brothers sold him off as a slave to Egypt, where he was bought by a character called Potiphar, who found him so great, a worker and a manager, he handed over his whole family, no, his whole enterprise and estate, to Joseph to manage. Even the wife he wanted to keep gave herself over to him as well, <laughs> telling him, Joseph, take everything, <laughs> including me. And Joseph says, no, 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 that is not trustworthy. If I'm given everything except you, please keep yourself for your husband. And she tried to force him. I suspect like, like a few foolish women today, she was saying, if Joseph gives me begu, then these superior qualities will become resident in my home. Because I can tell my husband's bagel is not as massage. So Joseph is taken to jail. (laughs) And the jailer began to go on holiday. He handed him the jail to look after the other prisoners. Can you imagine? You go to commit the maximum prison and you find the boss of the prison is in Kisumu on holiday because a prisoner has been told, keep the prison. We know Once you are defined as a prisoner, you will not try to escape. And you shall not allow any other prisoner to escape. And the work we want prisoners to do, you'll ensure that it is done. No wonder he came to the top and became governor of Egypt. What about Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego? Slaves in Babylon all went to the top, were highly remunerated, were tested, and God helped them. We read about them by name. Are you the worse off than Joseph, than Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego? Who exiled when they were slaves? Do you have a reason to say you cannot excel, except that you have chosen mediocrity? You're on the path to wealth if you are trustworthy, if you are diligent and hardworking, if you are excellent in your performance and at the top of your trade, And you can earn income that is mind-boggling. But whatever income you get, because that is what I have said is the root to your wealth, what do you need to do to create wealth? A few things and then we are done. Take stock and audit of your status in those three key areas. I suspect many people here need to work on their trustworthiness. (laughs) My neighbor had a watchman who would sleep when they sleep. (laughs) So when they want to check something, they call a worker who is not a watchman. We are calling the watchman. He is not peeking. Kindly go around and check if you can find him. And most likely because he is asleep, wake him up and ask him to call me. The watchman who is supposed to keep awake when others are asleep, Sleep more soundly than the ones who (laughs) ought to be sleeping so that you have to send someone who is not a watchman to wake him up to come and do the work of a watchman. Sharpen your skills in those areas. Seek for opportunities to optimize your earnings. Unless you are on a generous employee share ownership scheme, free yourself in the labor market. Because again, some of you remain suboptimal because you have taken loyalty to employers as religious. It's okay to be loyal when you are there every day. But if you are not a shareholder, open your mind. There are opportunities out there that you can take if you are that good. That's how you are able to pitch for your true value. Remember that people don't earn what they deserve, they earn what they negotiate. And it's very hard to negotiate with your current employer because they ask you, don't you know how hard the times are? And you're the one keeping the employer afloat in hard times. That's why you must be open for the employer who needs someone to get them out of hard times and pay for it. Be a good steward of your income. Income. Spend sensibly. It is only money you have for now that you'll use to make your wealth. Forget your fantasies and fairy tales and your pride about how one day you will earn multiple figures of income. The future you look for is here. If you are not harnessing what you have now, if those figures come, they will leave you just where you are. Because there are things to spend money on more than the money we have, whatever money we earn and get. So budget for your income, track your expenditure, see where your money goes, and direct it purposefully and intentionally then I ask that you live below your income, live below your means. If you live above your means, you get into the snare of consumer debts, paying loans left, right, and center to fund your consumption. Usually silly things that you can actually do without or save for. If you live within your means, which is recommended, You are just amfereji. Water passes through you and goes to nourish other people and when the taps run dry, you are just as dry as the environment around you. You know, there are many families who, if you check how they are living and the circumstances they are in, they cannot account for the money that has passed through their hands. They did not get loans to consume, but they consumed everything they got. Living below your means releases savings for you, for a assim- and see and foreseen assim- stresses in the future, and for investment. Forget the jealousies. Don't keep up with them. You don't know where they find their money. They don't even care about you. Live purposefully as you choose, and sensibly. Thirdly, take the long-term view of wealth. Proverbs 13, verse 11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. And it's amazing that people who have succeeded economically, if you interview them, they will tell you it took a long time for them to get where they are. Success in wealth creation... Is hardly ever a result of a windfall, but diligent, prudent, disciplined, patient, conscious, sacrificial, and purposeful saving and good stewardship over the resources available, seeking not just to meet current needs but to invest some of it for the future. Leverage on favorable circumstances, Proverbs 6 8. Go to the aunt you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Shouldn't you do the same? When is summer for you? Maybe when your children are small and your expenses are lit through. You know, some people who are newly married and have a reasonable income are living large Without knowing that the bills are following. <laughs> and you can leverage when the food is breast milk for your baby. The brochure says, let them breastfeed until they are six months. Don't give them anything. They only take what the mother has taken. That's the time to spare money. Because you don't need it badly. That's not the time to prove that you're also there. And are working, and earning. Like the ant, make hay when the sun shines. Take advantage of helpful instruments like the circles, which help you save, but also give you cheaper and affordable credit with modest securitization threshold. And the charms that women have perfected, and men are only beginning to learn, can work. Without saving and tightening your belt, engaging long-term processes, no matter what you earn, you are likely to remain poor. Adopt the seed principle for your investment. The savings you make are seeds. Now, there are several principles about seed that uh, I would like to share. One, don't eat the seed. Seed does not grow in the stomach. In the stomach, it is metabolized and digested and assimilated in your body. And everything that would be left is thrown out as waste. Psalms 126, verse 5 and 6 Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs. Carrying sheaves with him. Read carrying harvests. Investment is painful. It's always the choice to suffer pain now so that you can enjoy tomorrow. Proverbs 16.3 Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Pray about your seed. Seek God's help and support as you invest it. Isaac did, and in Genesis chapter 26 verse 12, says Isaac planted crops in that land, and it was a drought year, and the same year he harvested a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. It's amazing, when the Lord blesses you, very little effort can result in tremendous outcomes. So involve the Lord in your investment. Seek for his help and his blessing. Make him a stakeholder in your financial journey, and as an investor. But also harvest your crop when it is ready. Proverbs 10.5 He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son but he who who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. A disgraceful son. Don't be loyal to crops. When you plant, don't be loyal to the crops and the produce. If you don't harvest, it has a defined share of life beyond which it will rot then drop and begin to grow wildly without your purpose. Now you know, the trouble in this country is that there are men and women who have invested over the years in things that made sense then. They are living in almost abject poverty and sticking with their investments that have gained a lot of value and they are unwilling to dispose, realize their income. You are not investing for its own sake. It is so that it can help you in the future. Then diversify your investments. That's the passage that was read for us. Cast your bread upon the waters. For a long after many days, you'll get it back. Investment has an element of adventure. Invest. Take risk. Trust God for the future. Hit the road and drive your car. Don't go to driving school to operate there until you retire. Driving school is a place to go and find a skill to use outside. Cast your bread upon the waters. Give portions to seven, yes, to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come on the land. Life has many risks. And when you diversify your investments, even if some lines should go under, there are lines that to stand. A research that you must have heard about was done in America where billionaires were interviewed, 205 of them. And the researcher surprised themselves because he discovered, for majority of the millionaires and billionaires in America, they had on average seven streams of income. If you have seven streams of income, they are not all likely to go under. <laughs> I think you are a very foolish person. If you have stuck with one stream of income for 10, 20, 30 years, nobody gets really well of it by having only one stream of income. We don't have the time to check all the things you could do, but overcome your fear, your inertia, your procrastination. There is no perfect timing Because whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Some of you are where you are because you hesitated, and feared, and procrastinated, and you are bypassed by opportunities of a lifetime. Don't let more pass you. And that passage ends at verse 6 of chapter 11, which suggests that you be a serial investor so you are sitting in the morning and at evening, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Plant regularly, in good time, in bad times, follow good advice, but keep investing. And finally, invest generously. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously, will also reap generously. Your return on investment, all factors being constant and equal, will be proportional to the quantum of your investment. And so I invite you, at the head of this series, to this journey of creating wealth. Read about it. There is a lot of information available that can edify you. ...as you make your choices. In your work... and your enterprises... ...be trustworthy. Work diligently and work hard. Sharpen your competence. You are never too old to learn. And pray for your employers... ...that God will prosper them. Because in their prosperity... ...is your own prosperity. And always thank God... ...for the salaries you earn... ...and the work you have. They are the seeds of your investment... So spend wisely and careful. I commend to you the seed principle. Diversify your investments. Increase your investments. Wealth creation is a long-term journey. And I wish you success in that journey. I commend these thoughts to you. In the name of God the Father and God the Son. God the Holy Spirit.